Okay, we are back with the fifth episode of the Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast. Having started my own business while studying at university and getting funding from O2, I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. In this conversation, we talk to Simi Dillon from Rice and Spice, who started his meal delivery service from his university kitchen to now turning over six figures in revenue, providing food to Premier League winners and reality TV stars. We talk also about how his mum was a massive motivation for him and that he used RNS to allow her to retire early. Thanks to everyone for the support so far. It's been absolutely phenomenal. And we've got some amazing guests coming up next week. So be sure to stay tuned by subscribing and also following us on the new Instagram page. Um, the links are in the description. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, it would be amazing if you could leave a five-star rating and a review as it really does help us out. All right, let's go on the episode. Hey, Simi, how are you? Not that, thanks. How are you? been trying to get you on the podcast for a long time so it's really good to finally sit down and uh, record this episode <laughs> yeah i've uh, been really busy these past few months and yeah no it's, it's good to, to be on finally as well yeah because i was in bristol for a startup competition and we were meant to meet up afterwards to record the first ever episode actually um of the millennial entrepreneur podcast uh, but then you got busy and the whole like coronavirus thing hit so so all that got in the way um How's RNS actually doing in the whole coronavirus situation? I think uh, we've been very lucky in terms of the fact that we are like a, a meal delivery service and like offering an essential product. And also the fact that we are quite small and nimble, that we've been able to adapt quite well. Um, and RNS HQ is actually like a 10 minute walk from our house. And obviously it's quite a family business. So we all kind of self-isolating together, go to the unit together. And then we have a few kind of local people working with, with us. So it has gone really well. Like we've not been too like, adversely affected. And obviously, lots more people are. We've we've had quite a, a turnover in, in in terms of clients. So we've had some people leave because a lot of the clients are self employed, people who are really busy. And at the same time, we've had lots of new clients come in and people who probably we wouldn't normally serve. Um, so really opening ourselves up to different um, audiences at the moment. Yeah, that's pretty good in a way if you think about it because you're getting your product out there to audiences that otherwise wouldn't have you know thought about discovering RNS. Yeah, definitely, and. Even at the same time, like in terms of a business point of view, um, we did see our costs shoot up quite a lot. Um, like it, I think when things were first kind of like all up in the air, I think maybe some suppliers were quite opportunistic and raising prices and we've kind of seen them level out now. Um, so that's good. But um, no, we did um, in response to everything that was going on, we did like cut prices for um, NHS staff and uh, anyone vulnerable. And at the same time, we kind of froze prices for our other clients. Um but no, yeah, like overall as a business, we've kind of like managed to grow from it as well. Um, but I do think that we're only kind of seeing the beginning of the growth. And as things begin to normalize, we have kind of retained the new clients who we kind of reached. Um, and we start getting back the old clients who maybe had to take some time off. So I think, yeah, at the, at the end of it all, we'll kind of come out of it very like in a very strong position. We're kind of blabbering on about um, kind of how the coronavirus has hit RNS. Why don't, why don't you actually tell people what, what rice and spice RNS is? Okay, um, so yeah, it's kind of always changing and always evolving, and something that we'll probably will come on to speak about later on how it might change in the future. But um, it's effectively a, a meal prep service. So we have maybe just over a hundred clients between hundred and hundred fifty, and these people will be signed up to us on a subscription, um, and every week they'll get a new menu to choose from, and they'll pick um, so say delicious, healthy, chef-made meals um, delivered to your door. Um, and they can choose various different meals. We offer vegan meals as well now. 
and they can choose them in like different portion sizes. So they can have a standard portion, a high carb or a low carb based on their needs. And basically we like take advantage of the fact that people order in advance. We buy in bulk from our suppliers. Uh, we have chefs work in the commercial kitchen. We produce on scale. Um, then we chill everything using like, um, like commercial grade bass chillers, portion everything, and then we deliver it to doors. Um, and because we operate within say 20 uh, miles of kitchen, which is in Hertfordshire, um, yeah. we do everything ourselves. We don't outsource anything. Everything is cooked from scratch. Even our delivery drivers are kind of family friends kind of thing. Um, so it's all working very like personal oh, service. Cool. Um, yeah. So it's basically healthy meals delivered to your door and saving people time, improving the health and yeah. enjoyment of food really. How long How long you been going for? So it was three years in February. So it's about three, just over three years now. Um, and it, very, it started off as a different business. It was just... Um, in university, just literally, um, there was one meal option, just a jerk chicken and rice, and it was um, just a healthy. Yeah, I remember. I remember uh, that <laughs> a healthy takeaway, um, and it was just that one meal option. And then from that, I thought, hang on a minute, like students are probably like the most difficult audience in terms of having money to, to like spare money, and they're very like kind of not, not tight, but like very kind of like frugal. Um, and we'll cook for themselves if they if they can, or they get Domino's. They go like with a trusted takeaway. I thought I'd try it out and see how it worked, and it working quite. It was working quite well. Um, so from the back of that, I got my brother, and my mum to start back home, um, delivering to just normal people who we thought would be a lot easier to target because because potentially they have less time to cook and also have more disposable income, and it's like going really well. And then we actually realised, hang on a minute, takeaways are quite difficult. It's a very saturated market. There's less food waste involved because obviously you, have to, you don't really know when the orders can come in. It's very difficult to manage stock and inventory. Um, and then we just thought, why don't we just get into meal prep? Because we're quite a healthy family anyway, something that we're doing for ourselves. Um, so we started kind of doing both takeaways and meal prep. And then we just realized that the meal prep was just the best market that we could go to. It was like every, like we just yeah. really set up, um, everything was set up in our favor to, to do that. So we just kind of like pivoted towards that and that's yeah maybe for the last two and a half years and then we've kind of just really focused on that since i'd love to talk to you about um how how was the whole like thought process around starting in your university kitchen yeah like that must have been a weird sort of thing to start no yeah no it was um so i, I thought about starting something like this before uni and i just realized that hang on a minute how am i actually going to do this where is the how am i just going to serve random people it's not going to work i have to have a proper premise all this kind of stuff um, so I actually started it, uh, I did first term of uni, um, and then after my exams in first term, like the week that we had in between, it's kind of like a reading week, um, just started, decided to start it then. So tested a few recipes, thought, okay, I've got something good here. Um, and then I kind of sat down and I sat down with one of my, um, my close friends from first year, Tyrone, and like, I live with him second year, we're still really close now. Um, and I was like, oh, how should I market this? How should we do this? And we set up the Facebook page. And then from then, I just was like, okay, I'm just going to do it from my kitchen. And because I was in Stoke Bishop, which is like the student complex of like 2,000 students, I thought, okay, there's a huge market here. I can literally deliver everyone like on foot. Like they can meet me by the bus stop kind of thing. And then just started it and see how it went. And I kind of always thought, okay, it's going to go well because people can't really cook here. Um, it's cheap. It's affordable. And like the fact that I was in that kind of quite secluded um, student complex, the only real takeaway option was Domino's. And it felt like felt like kind of people were sick of that and they just couldn't be bothered to cook so yeah yeah that was the kind of logic behind it and i just thought why not yeah for people who don't know stoke bishop um so high baker where i think you were right it's in the middle of nowhere it's literally there's nothing around so 
for you to start this but there's so many students that's the thing and that's kind of very unique to university where you do get a big community of students concentrated in one area that might not be close to you know food places so yeah you very much saw that opportunity it was really cool for you to kind of deliver it at scale where like at you know somewhere else you wouldn't have been able to start it yeah uh, i was actually in a um city center halls for the first couple of weeks and i, I really wanted to be in Stoke bishop i applied for that as my first choice but i didn't get that so i actually only moved into and a lot of people don't realize this because it just felt like i was there the whole time but um i only moved to Stoke bishop after maybe six or seven weeks so half of first time had gone um and then obviously i started in the second time so had i not moved tools i probably wouldn't have started the business which is quite mad to think about oh wow no i didn't i didn't know that about you yeah that's crazy to think and i think so you talked about you talked about the whole marketing thing um one thing the the way i kind of found out about rice and spice was actually through your facebook page one of my friends got tagged in one of your posts um with like a quote that he said about your food yeah. i can't remember what it was off the top of my head now um but yeah it was something like this is like sick or whatever it was yeah. something like very yeah it was quite funny yeah and that's how i found out about it because he was tagged in yeah. it yeah is that the kind of is that the way that you grew it was very you know efficient marketing yeah. for the so that kind of audience that you're going after yeah, I, I feel like um we started off as kind of like being because obviously students and university is such a like a such a light-hearted place and like everyone's kind of like trying to banter each other and it's all like kind of people at the beginning actually thought it was a joke like it wasn't actually selling meals it was just kind of random people sending a photo I thought I thought it was a joke at first as well, actually. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was funny. Um, and then, like, I just realised that we kind of fed in. Like, at first, I was like, "Okay, cool. social media is a place to market," and I'm not paying for any ads. So I just made the page and and kind of like tag people. And I realised that the reach when on Facebook because we started purely on Facebook, and now pretty much we're very heavily on Instagram and not as much on Facebook. Um, but I just realised that if if you go on your Facebook feed and someone tags you. It, go, it shows to all of your friends and obviously the page it obviously shows to everyone who you're friends with but if you have a page as opposed to a person um it, the the reach of the post is very much like reduced um so i actually started off as i made a personal page and the name of the person was rice and spice and added loads of people and that's how it really grew because had i've started it as a page the reach would have been like a lot worse and i don't think it would have taken off um yeah just tagging like and we always try and make it really light-hearted and it's funny because some people are quite like unsure so we're not because obviously i deliver everything on foot and speak to the people and lots of people are really interested want to have like a real long conversation and then i was like oh can we grab a photo and they're like yeah sure um in fact some people i'm pretty sure just ordered so that they can get their photo on the page um but it was just always quite funny trying to come up with a quote for the page because i didn't really want to put anything on that was boring um to keep it really interesting and stuff but yeah i think that that was really effective marketing in the early days yeah, especially because, as we kind of alluded to before, university is a very unique kind of community where everyone kind of knows each other and people yeah. have mutual connections with kind of everyone. And, you know, you're never like one or two connections away from someone else in the university, if that makes sense. So if someone posts something, you're bound to see it. And it's very unique with the university community. Um, so probably if you did start this with, not in the university community, it might not have taken off and grown as fast yeah. as it did yeah, i agree definitely and uh there was literally no cost to doing that it was all like organic and had to pay for any of that so yeah uh, it just made so much sense yeah and just echoing the point that you made on on the whole fit like university is a very unique and special place where i, I don't know especially in first year 
like everyone just kind of wants everyone to do really well. It's just such a like nice thing. Um, and like you start off not really knowing anyone and then you finish knowing kind of everyone. Um, yeah, it's really weird. And it even happens now when obviously I'm kind of like in fourth year because I took a year off to work on the business. And even now like, I feel like, oh, there's not many people around that you know because obviously those who've graduated. And then you bump into people and who I don't even know. And they'll be like, oh, we'll got start speaking and somehow the business will come up or inevitably business will come into conversation. And they'll be like, oh yeah, I know that thing. Or so I know so-and-so who had the meals in first year. And it's really weird how like, yeah, in first year, I feel like everyone kind of knew about it. It was really strange. To kind of like explain the business a bit more in the early stages. So people were ordering from the personal Facebook page, you know, like messaging you or, or phoning you. Yeah. And then you'd personally go and actually deliver it to them. The, the yeah, jerk chicken so, and rice and peas, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So um, I like, heavily focus on um, Stoke Bishop and I would just like, literally post every so often or if someone bought a meal, I'd post them and then say, okay, just contact this number to order or message, uh, message us, even though it's just me, to order. Um, and then <laughs> I'd just cook in the kitchen and deliver it to them. And like, I could pretty much tell, okay, it was every evening because everyone was kind of at uni during the day. Um, so Monday to Friday, it was, it was during the day and I just whip up a few portions and, and, and deliver them and I'd normally get people to meet me by the bus stop or something yeah. to do them. And then on the weekends was when it was really busy um, because obviously the catered halls um, didn't have dinner on the weekends. So I'd really target the catered hall, uh, catered halls um, and, and try and get like, it was really great when uh, I kind of celebrate it when it was like someone had managed to convince their flatmates to, to order. So I used to have a couple of friends who on, on the Sunday, him and all these flatmates would order together. Um, so that was a good like five, six orders. Um, and it was great compared to like during the week sometimes when you'd be like scrapping around to get a couple of orders in. Um, but it was really funny and kind of scrappy and like there was no like pressure at all because of no cost really. Well, you say you say there's no pressure, but with something like the personal touch that you definitely injected into the business, in, especially in the early stages where you were kind of replying to every message and even, even now actually you're still yeah. replying to every message. Yeah. That must get so hectic, no? Because you must have, you know, your DMs are just full of just orders. Yeah, you know, it, it does get really hectic. And yeah, and I think a lot about like the scalability of it with this, um, like in the way that we're doing it. But I don't know. I feel like for the time being, it, it's okay. And like there are ways and like I feel like it is obviously very hectic. And I wouldn't say that it's pressure. It's more of a responsibility now that to kind of always do this. Not to an extent, a yeah. pressure, yeah, but... I feel like that's what's helped us be like really unique and kind of like now as we go forward and grow is like that's what's attracting people to come towards us. Um, yeah, and, definitely. Yeah, I think the personal touch is definitely underrated in business, and you're like a perfect example of of how you know uh, how it can be utilized to grow. I think I was going to say yeah, in, in, especially in like something like food where it's so competitive, it's so hard to differentiate yourself. Um, you need to like leverage every every difference that you can and really kind of like amplify it. You kind of you made a point earlier that I I really love, love to touch upon where you talked about university being an amazing per, uh, an amazing place to start a business. You know what would you like to highlight with the most important things to start? Like why would you convince? How would you convince someone to start at university? Basically, this is a, another really important thing, and I think it's first year of university when you have so much free time when your exams don't really count, and when it, I I say that yeah, everyone at university is really nice, and especially so in first year. But as you get into second and third year, like it becomes a lot more kind of cliquey where people maybe aren't so willing to help out and like they kind of fall into their group and people kind of want to be seen as being cool, if you know what I mean. So how they started yeah. on second year, it's more like, oh no, that's kind of, that's not really cool. I don't want to do that. Whereas in the first year, everyone's like willing to write anything. 
Um, and I think as well, like it's so easy. Like everyone knows that when you go to university in in, in like the first term and the first year, you can literally chat to anyone, and anyone will give you the time of the day. You can speak to anyone about anything, and like it's not seen as weird. I think as you go into second, third year, people get a more, lot more kind of like. <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Really. And so, yeah, I definitely think first year is the best time to do it. And also that you've got like so many people with so many different skills. Obviously, it depends on what university you're at. But again, this wasn't why um, this wasn't why it kind of in first year, it was a good thing to start. But like since first year, how lot like from Bristol, I've met so many different people who put me into contact with so many different people from the business in terms of like designers, developers, um, even like uh do you want me mentors? There's so many different like resources available. Um, and again, I think the big thing is the, is the the lack of pressure because as you get older and like if, if you want to start a business after university, like I've got lots of friends now who have tried to start businesses in their last year of university or when they graduate, and there is so much pressure on them in terms of like making sure it's a success. And also, there's huge opportunity costs because when you're in first and second year, maybe mainly first and second year, it's like if you're not. I was just thinking, like, what is the opportunity cost? What is the alternative that you would be doing? And it's pretty much just chilling with your mates or, or like, going out. And, like, you have enough time to do that. You can do that. Um, and even yeah. so you can make the business with your mates kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's just it's kind of a, a no-brainer to try it. And, like, if it fails, you just laugh and it's failed and you haven't lost anything. Whereas Yeah, exactly. It's just a learning curve. And also, like, the risk is so minimal. And I know a lot of people would say, wait, just, like, I don't have any money to start. But... Every university that I've that I've seen has some sort of scheme to promote entrepreneurship in university. They have they have a, a big budget, um, and I think you applied to some like uh, scheme as yeah, well yeah. with the university. And they gave you some money yeah, also. Yeah. So like yeah, the the risk is so minimal. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think yeah, Bristol University is really good as well, um, and like the enterprise team there are great. Having having said that though, I remember in the first year. Um, I didn't actually speak to the enterprise team at all for like a good 12 months uh, after I'd started the business, maybe even longer than that. Um, because in the first year, I was like, oh, where can I find a premises or a kitchen to cook in? Where can I do all this, that kind of stuff? And literally really unhelpful um, in terms of just like the estate's office and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I just thought, oh, I just did it myself, uh, see how it works. And then after that, getting uh, more more support and help uh, was great. I think, yeah, yeah, another thing I'd say is just like, I think a lot of people will kind of want their hand held and kind of like, oh, if there's resources available, I need to use them. I need them to tell me what to do. I think just starting by yourself and just using a bit of common sense and intuition and just a bit of like, oh, I want to sell this. I need to build it. I need to market it. I need to sell it. And then after that, you've actually got something to show people. Whereas like, I think a lot of time, uh, like the people at the enterprise office or just even like potential mentors will think, oh, this this guy or this girl has come to me and asked for help, but they've literally shown no initiative. And like, I can give them help, but like a lot of the stuff I'm going to tell them, they could have done themselves and then come to me with more specific problems. So I think the best thing is always to start early, um, get a bit good bit of work done, and and kind of carry on going, like struggle a bit, um, and then ask for help afterwards. But there, are, I think there are lots of people out there willing to help. And yeah, university is a place where like everyone's like people are really intelligent. They've got lots of good ideas, um, and they have free time. So it's just kind of perfect environment. And also, your your business has pivoted massively. So you did struggle with, within the early stages, but as a, not at the early stage, but you kind of hit scalability, and, and then yeah. you kind of wanted to pivot the business. So it's okay to struggle in the early stages as well, and you know, c- kind of change your ideas of what you want your business to be. Yeah, like I think lots of people ask me, and like it's really strange actually at the moment how, but lots of friends, I think like entrepreneurship is this kind of thing that's been kind of very much like glamorized, and everyone wants to do it now. Um, and lots of friends saying, oh, I'm starting this business, can I get a bit of advice on this, that or the other? And um, 
it, 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 and they're like, oh, how did you like, did you have a business plan? Did you have this? Can you send me like a template? And I was like, I don't have a business plan. I never have. And I probably never will. Um, and, and just kind of starting and just thinking, okay, this is a good idea. Let's run with this. Let's see how it works. And just constantly kind of changing and pivoting because like things are always going to change. Yeah. Like, the coronavirus has showed that. And like the business who have been able to adapt are obviously kind of doing really well. And like, it's okay, this is really like unprecedented like circumstances. And it's like a very like strange example, but like, there are always like conditions that can change, not as drastically as they have, but like just being able to adapt yeah. and, and kind of you are always gonna struggle, there are always gonna be problems. And like if you had no problems in the business, then someone else would just come in and set up the same business. Okay, so let's go back to the business within the early stages. So you so it grew so fast and you're getting so many orders that you actually had to drop out of university for a year, right? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah, well, well, that's, uh, that sounds like a good uh, story. What I probably would tell people sounds um, like sounds like the Mark Zuckerberg of, of food delivery. <laughs> but no, like actually, like the truth is that it was. It's not that it was going so well and I had so many orders. The truth is that it was like we, it was just really busy, and I realised I had to give a lot of time and attention to the business. And had I, and it's just kind of a case of like either I had to make the decision where either I stop the business now and just leave it and it's been like fun and I've learned lots and gained great experience and focus on my degree and finish my degree or I have to actually put off, like stop university for a year and like give myself like time to set this up as a proper business because it wasn't a proper business before that it was just like very much me running around doing everything didn't really have like a proper facility it was not scalable at all um so I had to really make the decision where and it was a really difficult decision to make um because obviously lots of like different factors come into play like your for one like your accommodation next year your or your mates graduating for you what employers would think if you take a year off like can you even take a year off um how exams would fit in and all, all that kind of stuff but like it was kind of the case in the second year where obviously i'd moved out of stoke bishop so it was very it was it was a lot more difficult to run rns in bristol uh, and that's when i kind of realized that hang on a minute this like operating for students to take away isn't like a viable market long term and like well it might be in a different form of the business but it's not what i want to yeah. do and to really pivot towards your prep yeah. and, and get our own like proper commercial kitchen and, and really go like like full scale on that um and that's what we kind of did yeah it must have been a really tough decision because uh yeah there, there must, there's just so many factors to consider especially when as you said it wasn't a scalable business at that point so you're kind of like thinking can it be scaled yeah um, and is it worth risking kind of a, a, like all those things that you said before? Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, it was a really difficult decision. And like, I really agonized over it so long. Um, wasn't sure. And even after I made the decision for the next like 12 months, 18 years, even up until um, pretty much until I finished that whole year out, I always thought, oh, should I have been taking this year out? Really, if you know what I mean? Um, and then after like, yeah. enough time, you kind of realize, yeah, good decision and kind of carry on moving forward. Was there any moments where you kind of felt like there was a big moment of doubt in your mind where you thought you made the wrong decision? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Like plenty of those. Um, like straight away after making it, like you think, ah, oh. you, you're always thinking because um, so I made the decision around January and second year um, that I'd fin- carry on like doing second year, but I'd defer some of the exams. So then my third year was technically um, like second year again, whereas I was just in uh, hitching full time working on the business and then also doing exams. Um, and so like from that January up until September, always thinking, oh, sh- am I making the right decision here? I could have just to stayed at uni, stayed with all my mates, graduated with them, um, gone into like a nice comfy, like salary, 
after uni and so all that kind of stuff and then even when I took the year off kind of thinking about um uh like kind of investing a lot of money into the business and like oh should I continue to invest money and time into it or should I go and spend my time elsewhere um but I think it like it came to the point where I was just like there's no point in carrying on thinking about this and wasting time like I'm an ring and just kind of give it my all I've given this year off no matter what happens like yeah just do whatever I can this year and then see what happens after that because there was no going back on the decision then yeah I guess it's best to not live with that regret of kind of what could have been yeah yeah definitely. if you know what definitely. I mean um but it's also really difficult to like I think it sounds like objectively it's easy to say it and like even now looking back on it um it's easy to say it but like when you're in the moment and you think ah oh, and you're seeing what other people are doing and you're thinking oh this is really long and you're staying up really late and you're having to do like basically shit jobs and you're just like, oh, what's going on here? Um, and it's difficult not to think about those other things. But then, yeah, I think ultimately like there's only so much you can do and like you're going to waste a lot of time if you do carry on thinking about what if or this or that and just kind of just make a decision and just go with it. Yeah. So you wanted to, you wanted to set it up in your hometown uh, of Hitchin, right? So what was your kind of thought pro- because obviously it's a different sort of environment than a student community so yeah what was your sort of thought process around that so after i set it up in bristol i got my brother and mum to start in hitchin and they were both going well but i was just like oh it just makes so much more sense to do it in hitchin because like i said before you you've got a proper audience as opposed to just students and students isn't like it's very cyclical as well it's like not just term time and uh holiday periods but it's the fact that at the beginning of the term people have student finance and at the end of the term they're broke basically um just so like having your proper audiences was just like a no-brainer and then also like thinking about it being scalable and thinking about the staff and proper premises and all these kind of things um so that was the kind of idea and i was just like yeah let, let's give it a go and hitch in i think like there's potential to, to really grow it there i think uh, as well after the first year that summer um i just literally spent the whole summer working on the business uh and from there i was like okay cool there's potential here to, to grow this in mill prep came back to uni second year and I realized oh, there's, there's too much like work to be done. I need to like go back and not just have a summer to work on it, but a whole year. I think initially it was like, we were lit. Like I've always thought that if you're going to do something, you have to do it really well. And there's no point in like kind of half assing it kind of thing. Um, so when we started off, I didn't want to try and like overextend and do too many different dishes if they weren't going to be as good as like the church. Yeah, of course. To, like kind of set a high bar. Um, so, I guess that we were kind of like quite safe in what we did in terms of like only offering good food and making sure that everything we did was really good and, and consistent and good quality and the customer would be happy. But then we didn't have that much time for kind of menu development because we were thinking so much about just growing the business and sorting out all like, do you know I mean? Like putting out fires basically um, and worrying about lots of different tasks. And then as we have grown staff and, uh, really growing the business and like kind of automated so many processes and now and even hired um, so many more chefs it enables us to like really focus on menu development and and, and offering so many more options what's your favorite what's your favorite rns kind of, um combination, combination. um so i think i think the satay chicken is really good and it's really popular um and then again you have the original jerk uh, lots of like friends who say that like whenever i post a new jerk <laughs> they'll be like ah oh, you can't beat the original jerk so yeah, i think the original jerk. yeah the, the jerk can't beat the original <laughs> Yeah, I think that those those two are my favourites probably. Who's the who's the biggest person that you've served? I, I, I know that you fed like reality TV stars and and professional football players, yeah. but <laughs> there must have been one that's really stood out in your mind. Um, 
I feel like because it was the first, it was like one of the first big people as well. It was um, Akifemwa, who's like you know like always rated like uh, strongest man on FIFA. But then again, yeah, yeah. there's also like Damari Gray, who's obviously won the Premier League, which is quite mad. Um, and then yeah, then you got the reality TV stars. But like, I don't really watch that kind of stuff, so like other people might find that really interesting, but I don't really care about yeah. that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually met Akin Fenway. He's a really nice yeah. guy. Um, very inspiring as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so one of um, uh, like a very close friend who I've known since we were like five or six. Um, he's a professional footballer, and he um, he basically plays for Wickham with Akin Fenway. So they're really good mates. And like even the, a couple of months ago, Jay and, and the friend Nick Freeman, uh, they went to uh, LA on holiday, and they were on holiday with Akin Fenway. So like, I suppose like it's all it's all and it always it's always been kind of word of mouth and friends of friends. Um, so yeah, we've very much kept it that way. Yeah, that's definitely the thing that I really like about your business is that you utilize word of mouth so like amazingly. For me, it's like a really brilliant example of how word of mouth can be so powerful. Yeah, and I think um, to start off with, if I'm being honest, it's probably just out of like uh, cost saving um, and not wanting to spend money on marketing um, and just trying to do everything like as frugally as we can. Um, but having like done that, um, we just realize that it's so much you, you you do need to start doing paid marketing eventually um because there's only like certain like there's a limit yeah. word of mouth can take you um but yeah like word of mouth is like you can never like forget about word of mouth and it's always gonna be so valuable like no matter what industry you're in it, it's always gonna be like the most valuable form of marketing so the way the the business that you kind of set up now and where you are like currently i saw a really really nice instagram post from you I can't remember when, maybe a few, a few months ago now. It was about, it was a long post about your mum and how like she inspired you throughout this whole process and how you've actually, you know, made her retire early, which is a really nice story. So kind of talk to us about how does that kind of come about where, you know, your mum was a really big inspiration to you and then, yeah, you kind of retired her early as well now. Yeah, so I think, so something I didn't mention earlier was that I actually went to, I went to Warwick um, to study maths and dropped out uh, before I came to Bristol. Um, so when I was there and I, when I kind of dropped out, I kind of had this like kind of half gap year where I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my time kind of thing? Um, and I was working, but it was just very boring and not kind of stimulating. So that's where I kind of actually was thinking about starting RNS first. Or was it called RNS? I just starting about thinking about starting a food business. And I just realized that it wouldn't be possible yeah. because like, how can I just start it on my own in like a half a gap year? Um, but during that year as well, I was really like kind of, because I had nothing to do. I tried to like start up my project to get mum a, like a new or different job. And um, just because obviously throughout like our childhood, uh, me and Jay being at home, like were always like really well looked after in terms of food, in terms of like taking us to football practice or school or wherever we wanted to go, she'd always take us there. And like without any kind of like complaint at all. And I didn't realize how like unique or special that was until obviously you speak to other people and find out how their experiences differ. But during that kind of yeah. period where maybe I was about 18, I was thinking, oh, let's get mom a job somewhere else um, where maybe she could like, in a way, it's kind of like for her to like kind of start a career at whatever age she was at. And we just realized that it's just not possible. That is so difficult for, for a woman to kind of yeah. be like say mid 40s, have not spent any time uh, in education in decades and like just literally focused on like kind of raising kids to then like start a career again. And uh, at the point, I was like, we tried really hard, like looked at different uh, like courses, like open university, um, distance learning, all these kind of things. And I just realized that like none of them like 
none of them would be like viable options in terms of they weren't set up for the circumstances that mum was in. I realized that there must be a lot of women out there like this. Um, then I was just like, to be honest, like I don't have the time now to like, if, I mean, I didn't have the time now to kind of like solve this problem. And I just said to her, like kind of, kind of as a joke, but kind of like, I, I did believe it that um, one day I'd have a business and I can just hire mum and train her up in this business and she'd really enjoy it. And I didn't think that was going to be a food business. I didn't think it was going to be R&S. I was just like, oh. Yeah. And then like, as the business grew slowly, grew slowly, it was never that, okay, cool. We're growing this business that mum can work in full time. But it's just like, it's just natural for us to say, oh, mum, can you give us a hand? And natural for her to say yes, because that's all, what's always happened. And then slowly over time, we were like, okay, can you like give up more days where you're working? So she's always just worked like part-time uh, at Tesco's, um, really flexible for her um, and like working around us basically. And so slowly she was maybe working like four or five days a week. And then she was working three and then two and then one. And then we were just like, why are you even still working? They just quit and uh, you can work with us full time. And that's kind of what happened. So you're kind of a family family business now. How is it being a family business? Um, like, it's, there's obviously pros and cons. Like, the the pros are that like we like we get to spend a lot of time together and we get along really well, which is great. Um, from a marketing point of view, it's also really great and everyone loves it. And that our interests are all aligned, and that is like we all want the business to grow and we all want because we're all like kind of we'll all val- uh, like benefit if it grows. Um, and we all like kind of do have the same interest and like uh, like vision for the business kind of thing. Um, so like that's so important and I feel like in the business like people don't really realize about how just getting good staff where all of you are like moving in the same direction is so like rare and uh, valuable so that's like definitely the pros of it Um, and then like this this disadvantage another pro is that like I suppose this is a pro and a con that like the business never stops and like even if we're at home at like even 11 p.m yeah yeah. Um, you can't shut off exactly so again, like it's an advantage in terms of like it means we're always working on the business, but it's also a disadvantage in terms of we don't get a break. Um, yeah, and then like, yeah, I, I feel like there are very few disadvantages, but I think like the one is that you literally never get a break from it. How do you, how do you switch? I off? don't. <laughs> um, yeah, twenty four seven R and To be honest, like I feel like that's like a, something that I probably try to work on a lot more. But yeah, no, I don't know, like going on holiday uh, but then even when we're on holiday uh, with, like, it's normally me and Jay or we go with friends and I'm still always working on the business I'm like in a way I, I don't really want to like when some people say or oh, when you take time off or whatever and like, I feel like I don't need to have like a week or a month or a few days off and, I, and if I'm being honest I don't feel like for the last three years there's ever been a day when I completely not touch RNS because it's, it's something where you're always thinking about it even if you're not like physically doing something you're always thinking about it um, but just having breaks, from it, yeah. like, I don't know, just doing some exercise or chatting to a friend or, do you know what I mean? Like just doing something different, um, reading something different or even uni. That's kind of a break from RNS. So your break from RNS is to work on uni work. And I guess your break from uni work is to work on RNS. To an extent, yes. Um, but then also like just having like, obviously now it's not ideal, but like even, I suppose even now, like just often I'll just call friends and we'll just be on the phone for a couple of hours, just catching up about anything. Um, yeah, and another break is just exercising because I feel like that is something so different and it is like really like, intrinsically enjoyable. But yeah, just just taking some time out to just to chat to friends and catch up and maybe go for dinner or something like that. We're coming, we're coming kind of to the end of the podcast. Uh, so just uh, looking to the future. So how would how at what point do you think you'd you'd know that you've made it what you what point would you know that rns has made it honestly i feel like there'll never be a point that you've made it because you can never kind of make it 
I was listening to this. I just saw this thing pop up on um, Instagram this morning. And the guy was saying, I think he's an actor. I don't remember his name. He was like saying how some, when he was 16, some guy asked him uh, who his hero is, whatever. And he said, oh, give me two weeks to come back to you. And then he came back and said, oh, it's me in 10 years. It's me when I'm 25. And at 25, he said, oh, it's me when I'm 35. I feel like it's the same with RNS. It's like, there'll never be a point where... Oh, it's Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it. Um, but yeah, I feel like there are obviously things that we realize, okay, like when you, uh, like, let's say if ever we were like raised like millions or we sold this amount of mills or, do you know I mean, we, we were nationwide or we were worldwide or, do you know what I mean, all this kind of stuff is all, all nice. But then like, even when you get there, you're like, ah, oh, what's the next thing? So I feel like just um, there is no point when RNS makes it kind of thing. It's just always like kind of, there are obviously things that we want to do, like nice things to, to have and achieve. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like for me, there's not any one particular thing. Um, potentially, um, okay. I, I, well, I would say potentially actually when um, maybe I work on it full time, because I feel like um, at the moment, I, so I'm going to work for Google in October um, and I don't know how long I'll be there for and I don't know what like the future does hold. But at the moment, I'm not kind of yeah. going to work on RNS full time until like it's big enough for me to do so. And maybe that will never happen. And maybe it will just carry on like ticking over as like this nice family run local business. Um, but if it just gets to the stage where yeah. I then jump on it full time, I feel like that would be a huge achievement. And that like, is kind of something that maybe I want potentially want to do in the future. But it might be in five years, it might be 10 years, it might be in six months or, or it might never happen. Yeah. But I think that would be something so while, while you're kind of working full-time for Google, you want it to almost sustain itself um, to a certain extent with not as much involvement as it does now. Is that right? So that's kind of like the, like the I can't remember if it's like the school bus test or yeah. like the fire engine yeah, yeah. test, which is basically like if you get hit, for people that don't know, if you get hit by like, if the founder gets hit by like a car or something, can the business still sustain yeah. itself? So To be honest, I honestly feel like it's like that now because I feel like if, 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 for whatever reason, I, I, I couldn't work on RNS anymore. Um, I feel like it would continue to like operate and operate very well. It just maybe wouldn't grow as much or it wouldn't like change or pivot as much. Um, but yeah, like I, I feel like as well, like Google's a great environment and there's so many like incredible people there who will always give me like new and different ideas. Um, so I'm really looking forward to yeah, going definitely. there and yeah, like letting RNS just kind of take over. And again, I'll always be working on it and there was lots of lots of hours in the week and the weekends and the evenings and the mornings to be working on RNS. So yeah. All right. So we've kind of reached the end of the podcast um, episode. So really, yeah, massive pleasure talking to you. And as I said, I've been trying to get you on for a long time. So yeah, massive pleasure to have you on finally. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah. But yeah, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so how can people kind of stay in touch with RNS, stay in touch with you in the future? Yeah, so uh, there's always, whenever we go on radios to do interviews, there's always a bit of a mouthful, the uh, Instagram handle, and we think about changing it. Um, so the Instagram handle, like Instagram is our biggest kind of platform, um, is at rice underscore hen underscore spice underscore. Um, the website is RNS. I'll leave it in the description. Yeah. <laughs> the website is rnsmills.com. Um and Facebook, if you just type in Rice and Spice, I'm sure it will come up. Um, and then, yeah, if you if you fancy following me, you can follow me on Instagram at, at SimiDillon underscore. And LinkedIn, SimiDillon. You can find me on there as well. Okay, great. Thanks for being with me. Yeah, thanks a lot. And yeah, we'll speak again soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast. Your support's been absolutely incredible so far. And so if you did enjoy this episode as well, be sure to leave a five-star rating and a review as well on Apple Podcast. And definitely 
be sure to follow us on our new Instagram page. Uh, I'll put the link in the description as all the episode announcements will be on there. So yeah, my name's been Cena and I'll see you in the next episode.